I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Electrified Porcupine. Electrified Porcupine is a pretty kick-ass website where you can go and read and learn all about music, gaming, wrestling, retro, TV, movies, cartoons, and collectible toys. So go to electrifiedporcupine.com and have a look around. See what you like. Hello and welcome to another episode of Muses and Stuff. Today, Lynx is going to tell me and you, sweet listeners, a story. And let me tell you, there are pages and pages of this one, and I can't freaking wait. Lynx said that she got it down from 13 to 10, but I was like, just give it to us. I think we're ready for a long one. We're ready for for um, for a little bit more. So, Lynx, who are we doing today? All right. So, yes, today we are going to be talking about Maite Garcia, who was Prince's first wife. And Maite's book, uh, she has a book called The Most Beautiful. It came out about a year after Prince passed away. It is a fantastic book. 
and I got so much out of it. And even with like 13 pages, 10 pages now, there's still so much in the book for people to read. So don't think I'm telling you everything either. Like there's a lot of good stuff in there, especially if you're a Prince fan. It's 100% like you need to read this. How many times was he married? Like how many wives did he have? Was she? Well, you'll probably tell me if she's the first, but. Yeah, he had two wives. So she's the first. Um, I'll tell you about the second one a little bit. Um, so yeah, let me let me get into this one. So Maite was born <clears throat> on November 12th, 1973. And just for reference, Prince was born June 7th, 1958. So about 15 years older. <laughs> she has an older sister named Janice, and her mother was a dancer, and her dad was a pilot. And for a little while in her youth, she grew up in North Carolina. So she was born with crooked legs, and she had to be put in these painful braces like from the get-go and her mother was determined that she would have strong legs and she made them wear them these braces 24 7 and she ended up going through what would have been three years of brace training in only 18 months and this was super important because Maite's mom was a dancer and Maite would become a dancer herself so if that part hadn't happened who knows what her legs would have been like. So by the time she was three years old, she had inherited her mom's love of dancing and her and her mom uh, would dance together and they sort of became a belly dancing duo. Whoa, crazy. I've been just talking to people the other day, like uh, this woman the other day at a coffee shop and we both said that we we're going to start taking belly dancing lessons this winter. Awesome. Yes. Another another belly dancer, like Pleasant. So they actually became quite popular and they were performing all over. And uh, they used to perform at restaurants and parties and she really enjoyed dancing. But her life wasn't perfect as her childhood wasn't perfect. Most childhoods aren't. Um, being... Uh, in North Carolina, she was bullied by somewhat racist classmates. Oh, what's her like background? Because I was thinking with a name like Maite, spelled M-A-Y-T-E. Yes. Yeah, what's the background there? Um, a little like Arabian, um, Spanish. She's got, uh, she's, she's gorgeous. I can't wait for you guys to see her. So not white. No. Um, so her parents were also, they had a very interesting relationship, but both were cheating and they both loved each other, but they had this strange thing. So Maite kind of grew up not really understanding what a normal relationship was like. Um, and at seven, a family friend, if you can call him that, uh, yeah, uh, began molesting her. And, of course, she didn't understand what was happening or how to put it into words. And it wasn't until in her 20s when she was able to talk about it that she learned that this man was also molesting her older sister. God damn it! Yeah. So dance was really a refuge for her. She says, uh, throughout that terrible year, I danced. And when I danced, I was untouchable. Dance was my secret power, my doorway to another dimension where there was only beauty, music, and love. 
So at eight, Maite's full, fully in the belly dancing world. She began sword dancing, which is a balancing act with the sword on top of her head. And she practiced this until she had a bald spot on the crown of her head. And uh, her, it sort of became like a family affair. Like her mother was dancing with her and her dad became a videographer of sorts. And he would record the performances that she did as well as the other dancers would do. And he would sell the copies uh, to the other dancers and everything. And one of these videos got into the hands of the producers of a TV show called That's Incredible, which was sort of like a Ripley's Believe It or Not talent show. And they invited Maite on. So they flew her to L.A. This was like 1980, 1981 around. And the mystical, magical Princess Maite, world's youngest professional belly dancer, made her TV debut. And she danced and she did the sword balancing act. And she did a new talent that she'd rehearsed specifically for the show, which was flipping a line of quarters on her stomach using her abs. (laughs) She was, like, the craziest abbed-out, like, eight-year-old ever. Um, And the coolest thing is I checked on uh, YouTube, and there are some clips of her from that show, so you have to go check it out after. Yeah, everybody just pause this, have a quick YouTube break, come back, listen to it again. That sounds amazing. I wonder if one winter after belly dancing lessons I'll be able to do that. We'll see. Yeah, actually, um, the clip that I saw, someone had um, uh, like edited prints into it, like watching her. So it's kind of cute. <laughs> so also around this time, being the early '80s, MTV was the hottest new channel, and Maite really loved watching the art form of dance and music and fashion and storytelling coming together in these videos. In 1984, Purple Rain came out, and her and her sister became obsessed. They would listen to the soundtrack and dance and play, and Maite was always Apollonia, and she felt a connection to the film and Prince's music. And when she watched Prince's first interview on MTV, she was mesmerized. When it went over, she turned to her mom, and she said, I'm going to marry Prince. Uh, She says, this was a plain spoken certainty I felt. I had absolutely no logical reason to think this was remotely possible, but I had seen it in my mind's eye or perhaps remembered it from that soul spiral, all possibilities at all times and knew it would happen. So Maite at this is like 12. She's 12 years old. I did the same thing with my mom with Nick Carter, though. And I was like, Mom, I'm going to marry Nick Carter. Like, he's only eight years older. That's okay. And, like, that never happened to me. But, um... Yet. Yet. <laughs> There's still time. Okay. <laughs> so, around this time, her parents ended up divorcing. And her dad moved to Germany. But within a year, they all moved out there. And her parents got remarried. Uh, they would end up getting divorced again and remarrying again. So, like I said, uh, Maite's example of a relationship was a little strange, not not your norm. Um, they ended up spending the next six years in Germany, and apparently Germans loved belly dancing even more than uh, Americans did, and Maite's career really took off there. By 16, she had over $100,000 in the bank just from her belly dancing 
shows. So this is where it gets really interesting, and you're going to see some crazy-ass parallels to some past women. Oh, I can't wait. So Maite was enrolled at General H.H. H. Arnold High School. She says, I'd hurry to class passing a large portrait of Priscilla Presley. Oh, I knew I, we were going to hear about Priscilla. <laughs> on, in the school's hallway. I remember thinking how cool it was that she had been going to this very high school when she met Elvis, not suspecting that my life was about to change in the same way hers had. So her big dream was to dance in Cairo like all the other most famous belly dancers. Uh, she began traveling there uh, for her costumes, which were made for her by the Coco Chanel of belly dance, which in her name is Madame Abla. I asked Pleasant about her, and Pleasant told me she's the Coco Chanel of the belly dancing world. <laughs> so, yeah, she knew all about her. Um, when she was 16, her family went on a vacation to Spain, and her dad told them that they could go to one concert while they were there, Celia Cruz and Tito Puente, or Prince. So her sister voted Prince, but Maite, uh, she had previously seen Michael Jackson in concert, and it was like this crazy fan experience that was a little traumatic, like crazed fans you know um rushing and she didn't really want to have to deal with that again so she voted uh Celia and Tito but so it was up to her mom to break the tie and her mom was like wait the prince tour is called nude oh we're going to prince (laughs) (laughs) so this was the summer of 1990 so when they went they got there early and managed to switch their tickets from like nosebleeds to standing room and they went straight up to the front and prince's scouts had spotted her and her sister and walked up to them and invited them to an after party but her dad was like uh no like you're not going back there so that was kind of stopped dead in the tracks is there such a thing as scouts these days does it happen i haven't seen any I don't know. That's interesting. It's interesting. I, I don't... I'm, probably. It's different bands, different... Maybe in the pop world? Let us know. Have you been scouted recently? I mean, my cousin Courtney somehow always gets upgrades. People just always walk up to her and just, like, give her better tickets. But no, like, after parties or, like, specifically, like, the artist would really like to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, different genres. That's what I would assume. Not really in the rock and roll, especially like the indie rock and roll world. No, that really doesn't happen. Maybe it does. So, yes, they were at the front. Um, and I'm going to read this amazing paragraph that Maite describes watching the show. I was completely in awe of this performer, what he'd done on that stage. That was all I could think about. This wasn't a romantic thing. I wasn't smitten with him at uh that way not yet but I'd never experienced anything so electrifying everyone on the stage worked his or her heart out everything was perfect but nothing came off as routine or overdone the look of it was as finely tuned as the music at the center of it all was the supernova of a performer who danced as hard as any of the dancers and played every instrument he could get his hands on during the 100 minute set 
As a performer who knows how to give up everything on the floor, I knew how hard these people were working, but I could also feel their energy feed off his. Driving down that dark highway, I could feel that force pulling me, not to be with him, but to be an artist, to perform with absolute commitment, to dance with absolute joy. Now I know that this is what inspiration feels like, but back then I only knew I had to feel it again. Oh, that's amazing. I can really feel it. So um, what year is this? This is 1990. Oh, okay, cool. Um, what do you think about Prince? Are you, were you ever, like, do you find him attractive? He's not, like, physically my type, but I can 100% see the attraction because he is such an incredible performer and so talented. Like, the way he plays guitar, the way he sings, the, the fact that, like, he has incredible amount of hits. He's unbelievable. I've got to see him live a few times, and he really does blow you away. How about you? Mm, it was funny because I am into androgyny and into the androgynous look, but uh, I've never felt it. I've never felt the the feelings. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Feelings. Yes, I'm definitely into androgyny as well, like Bowie, and but uh, I think Prince is a little too like small. Maybe there's something about his like stature. I don't like it when guys are like tinier than me. It makes me feel like an Amazon. So I think that's like partly why physically it's like I don't feel the attraction there. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm all right with that. Like I'm I'm okay with the little skinny guys, but yeah, I don't know. I just never felt it. There's a really funny story if you look up um Jimmy Fallon's story about um it was at some like I don't know if it was like an MTV it was some kind of like music awards thing that he hosted and um it was I think he dared Prince to come up to the stage because he didn't know what else to do and then he was like oh my god I can't believe I just dared Prince to come up to the stage and it was like the sea parted and he just appeared in like a cloud of smoke and then just blew everybody away but it's a pretty funny story the way he tells that you should check that out awesome yeah, there's some fantastic Prince stories. He seems to kind of shock and blow people away all the time. So after this concert, he blew Maite's whole family away. <clears throat> and her parents really felt that Maite belonged up there with Prince and his crew. Um, he played some music that <clears throat> was often in belly dance like sounds and things like that so they um they convinced Maite to edit together a dance video and they found out that his tour was headed to Germany shortly after so Maite was like this is stupid like why am I doing this but her mom was like you make that video so she made this video and her and her mom went to this the German the the tour the show, sorry, in Germany. And they stood outside the gate, and as Prince's bus came by, uh, her mom saw Prince and Rosie gain inside and started, like, waving, man like, manically at them. And so she did it as well. And uh, years later, uh, Prince told Maite that he did see them as the bus rolled in, and he turned to Rosie and said, there's my future wife. No way. So this is 1990. She would have been 12? 16. Wait. 
My math was wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so she's 16 now. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Um, those people who scouted her at the show in Spain noticed her and brought her backstage. And her mom uh, told some of the backup dancers, like, oh, like, my daughter Maite is this amazing belly dancer. Like, this is her video. We want to get it to Prince. And they ended up giving it to Prince, who watched it, like, right then and there and summoned her. And she says she was really nervous and giddy and she followed his bodyguard down to meet him. But the moment that she saw him and he said hello, she felt immediate peace and that she belonged and she was meeting her soul partner. And uh, he told her he liked the tape, asked if she was really 16. And she set the, he set them up with seats to watch the show. And afterward, the bodyguard got her number and Prince called that night and invited her over, asking her to bring more dance tapes. So her mom drove her there and chatted with Prince to make sure nothing weird was happening here. And uh, it, nothing was. So she let Maite stay. And Maite and Prince ate popcorn and watched her dance videos and chatted until 4 a.m. And made plans to meet again the next night, which they did. And they watched Prince's tour videos the next night. And she says, he treated me like a fellow artist, which made me feel incredibly special and proud. So Prince left for the rest of the tour, but he asked her to send uh, all the dance tapes that she was making. And he would call her several times a week and write letters, which she still holds dear. And Maite shares a, a lot of the letters that Prince kind of sent her over, over their whole relationship in the book. So anyone who is interested in that, again, check out the book. There's plenty more there. Um, her and her mom actually went to visit that, um, Prince when he was in Switzerland. Uh, Prince started sending her cassettes of the music he was making, and then she'd send tapes back of her dancing to them. She says, I danced to it, only vaguely aware that this was a form of communication we were developing, a secret language in which he would tell or try to tell me what he wasn't always able to say in words. There was an immediate mutual affection between us, but we did not have a sexual relationship. He was too wise and decent to take advantage of a 16-year-old girl. Good. Good on you, Prince. I mean, I can't even believe that I'm like, oh, like... Applause for Prince for not like taking advantage of the sixteen-year-old girl. But I mean, we just we just did Lori, and you know, actually, I was surprised at how um, we didn't get any negative reactions off of that episode, like we were maybe expecting. So, just like a shout out to how amazing our listeners are. We love you guys. Yeah. So, at in nineteen ninety one, Maite was seventeen. That was the first time that Prince invited her to Paisley Park. And that's in Minnesota, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, she says opening the doors to Paisley Park is like opening the doors to Oz. And she goes into great detail about his house. And he had like a costume wing. He had a hair salon in there. Uh, the walk-in closets, the clothing, the decor. He had pet doves. Um, <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> a recording studio. I think he had a cat at the time, too. Um so she ended up graduating high school and she passed her ballet master classes at 17 and her parents ended up signing a power of attorney document making Prince her legal guardian so he she could travel anywhere to work with him. Nothing nothing crazy there, just work. 
Yeah, my facial expression changed from a look of what the <laughs> fuck to like, man, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So she, this was like six months before she turned 18 as well. She flew to LA to participate in the Diamonds and Pearls video, but the director didn't think she was sexy enough and she didn't get into it, which is insane. Prince um, ended up making it up to her by taking her on a shopping spree on Melrose. And later in their relationship, like so many of the other women that we talk about, the tables turned here and she would go out shopping and Prince would end up stealing her clothes and wearing them. Or uh, she talks a lot about how like she'd buy some great jacket and she'd go to put it on the next time and there'd be like shoulder pads in it and like he had like brought it to his costume designers and like just shifted it like to his suiting um that's amazing (laughs) so their friendship was growing stronger and they were connecting on deeper levels she says together we explored universes and lifetimes and emotional truth we talked about the possibility of our two souls having met before and where that might have happened they both really strongly felt that they were lovers and friends and even family members in past lives and years later prince used to um, hypnotize her and they would like explore these past lives and these past worlds that they lived together. I'd love to get hypnotized. If anybody um, can do that, come over, hypnotize me. (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, So my team is still living in Germany, uh, but her visits were becoming more frequent and she began to think of her future and decided that she wanted to move to Egypt for a while just to, you know, figure out her next move. Prince asked if he could send a film crew, and she said okay. So his only direction was just do what you do. And Randy St. Nicholas, which is another important figure, female figure in Prince's world, uh, came over and began filming her. And they'd send the videos to Prince. And these videos, um, or these became his Three Chains of Gold music videos. A lot of these pieces are edited in those. They were shot over two years and followed a great love affair between Prince and Egyptian Princess Maite. And I think they're also made into a comic book even. That is really cool. At first I was like, wait, is it is she being filmed for like a reality show kind of thing? But now I'm like, no, this is like a, a kind of art in itself that I've never really kind of heard about before. Love it. Yeah, Prince was really... Um, involved in his music videos and he really wanted them to tell a story so he used to like record things all the time uh not knowing like what what they would be used for in in the future but that they would have a purpose so in 1992 in november maite turned 18 and prince asked if she would move to minnesota he hooked her up with an apartment and he wanted her to be on call So Maite was now his true muse and their relationship began to shift and he was becoming more obvious with his lyrics. Uh, For instance, in the morning papers, he sings, um, he realized that she was new to love, naive in every way. Um, Every schoolboy's fantasy she was, that's why he had to wait. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Prince. <laughs> 
So Maite was becoming part of Prince's crew, which was known as the NPG or the New Power Generation. And he told her, you're not a backup dancer. You're a part of the band and your body is the instrument. She was shocked, however, when payroll told her she'd only be receiving $300 a week. She made more money belly dancing in one night than she would get for a whole month in Minnesota. But um, she decided to stay and prove her worth and that if she wasn't satisfied after the tour, she'd go back to Cairo. And um, really, she was falling in love with Prince and... This was her heart and not her head making this choice. But, I mean, who wouldn't stay, especially at 18? So during rehearsals, Maite met another one of Prince's uh, young loves, Carmen Electra, who was 19 at the time. And she was working on her album and soon she'd be headed off to L.A. So she was sort of on her way out. That is 100% a piece of new information for me. So, Carmelectra and Prince. Yeah. Okie doke. Yep. So, Prince actually suggested they hang out, and they did and had a great time, uh, but Carmen wasn't going to be there for long, so they had a brief friendship. Uh, Maite says, something I eventually learned, Prince's top girlfriend was always in Minneapolis. When you come to Minneapolis, you were the girl on your way in when you left you were the girl on your way out she Mm -hmm. says this would have been a valuable piece of information for me to keep in my own hip pocket oh foreshadowing yes yes so the her first show with prince was at the tokyo dome in april of 92 there were forty-eight thousand people they also filmed the continental music video there uh, with footage of my taste cairo time split in uh, she only had a few numbers in the show, and Maite was on the band bus, but she often traveled on Prince's solo one, which kind of put some distance between her and the rest of the crew. Uh, she was hurt when she overheard them making fun of her for being there. And while her and Prince weren't officially together yet, uh, he also kind of showed a possessive side when she went out to eat with a guy on the tour and had not been on call. He phoned her. She wasn't around. He did not like that. And uh, he also later, when they were married, kind of showed another kind of possessiveness where suddenly the costumes that she was wearing were a little too revealing and things like that. So, Oh, brother. Yeah. Um, she also learned what a tough boss he could be when she wasn't used to touring and she found it kind of stressful and without her usual workout routine she kind of put on a tiny bit of weight and she couldn't go to the hotel gyms because she was nervous about missing his calls so one day in makeup prince noticed some cookies and whipped cream beside her station he asked if they were hers they weren't they were the makeup artists who immediately told him so but 20 minutes later the tour accountant came down and told Maite I'm embarrassed to say this but I have to dock your pay this week what yeah yeah so Maite was humiliated and furious but she decided red flag red flag (laughs) she decided to pull it together she did her numbers then she went side stage out of sight from the audience and danced for the rest of the show and she did this regularly and in no time she got toned up again 
she um she didn't speak to prince for a few days they she was definitely angry at him about it but she forgave him but they never ever discussed it again though she swore that he or anyone else would never make her feel that way about her body again so when tour ended payroll informed her now you have to pay your own rent this apartment that prince got you that's yours now so at 300 a week food rent transportation tax all the money that she'd saved as a teen was basically down to nothing uh she knew moving to Cairo was the best decision financially but she loved him so she was like oh uh they'd yet to cross that line though and she also knew there were other women for instance Carmen now Prince had always hired bodyguards for his lovers Carmen had one and one day he came into rehearsal when Carmen and Maite were working there and he went over to Maite and he shook Maite's hand now this was extremely important because Prince never shook hands with anyone he considered his hands his instruments so doing this in front of everyone was like the signal that the relationship kind of was, was shifting and um, suddenly also Maite had a bodyguard. So this was obvious again. And Carmen very shortly after this was out in LA. So Maite sort of became the one. Um, so she wanted to stay, but her savings was gone. She got to the point where she was like missing meals because she couldn't afford to eat. So she was like, I can't take this anymore. She went to Prince frustrated. She told him, she, I, I can't do this anymore. It turned out Prince had no idea that any of his employees, like what they were paid and standing up to him uh, led to a significant pay raise for Maite and everyone else. So she was able to stay. Everyone got paid what they deserved, which was great. So during the music video uh, shoot for um, his song Seven, that's when things really shifted for them. They were playing around. There was this feeling of love in the air. And just as they were wrapping up, Prince said, I think it's time for you to get on birth control. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so Maite doesn't go into details about their first time, just that it was a big deal for her and that patience pays off. So she was 19 at this point, (laughs) which is like patience pays off. I don't know. They'd known each other for a while. I guess that's what she means. (laughs) So between, um, okay, I, for time's sake I'm not going to go into detail about every tour or every show that they did I'm going to sum it up because Maite sums it up really nicely in one paragraph in the book so for the rest of the episode just know that all these things are going on in between what I'm telling you between 1990 when Prince and I first met and 1996 when we got married I participated in 129 performances on five world tours plus a couple hundred after show and one-off concert gigs dozens of music videos album tracks credited and uncredited many national tv appearances countless photo sessions radio interviews and press junkets it's a little mind-blowing to take stock of it all now as I try to make sense of what we were to each other. So that's all happening while these other things are happening. In 1993, Prince changed his name to The Symbol. Um, he also uh, asked if that Maite could help him put together a show called Erotic City. So Maite 
she was shifting now. She wasn't just a dancer. She started becoming an artist and um, behind the scenes as well. Did she talk about what he was like in bed? Not really. She's she's very um, private about that. Was he a freak in the sheets? Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't say. So I'm just going to leave it up to everyone's imagination, just like she did. I wonder if that information is out there anywhere. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so curious, like what kind of lover he was. Well, he's like known to be like a passionate man and... Yeah, and like with you know erotic and and where or what is it erotic city and like tours called nude like yeah I'm gonna guess he was uh, very involved. So Maite for erotic city she created this awesome space with go go dancers and sexy silhouettes and projections and dancers coming down from the ceilings. I think it was in Miami and Chicago. It might have been just Miami. Um, but yeah, Maite was becoming more than just a dancer. She has really developed a passion for directing and editing and choreography and all of that. Um, in 1995, when the MPG crew were in Barcelona doing press, Prince was in L.A. working. And her and Prince's schedules were really off. And she found him kind of sad and vacant whenever she talked to him on the phone. So... They were chatting. Maite was called to do some press. They hung up. Something didn't feel right. So she rushed back to the phone. It was already blinking. Um, She called Prince again. Uh, Prince had left a message. And she said, I want to talk to you, but they're waiting for me. I just came down to tell you I love you and I'm here for you and I'm thinking of you. And Prince said thank you. And they hung up again. But Maite just kind of sat there like she didn't feel right leaving again. And then suddenly the phone rang again and it was Prince. And she picked up and there was this long pause. And suddenly Prince said, will you marry me? And she was shocked, of course. But she was like, yes, yes, of course. And he said, I want us to have a family. And they spent the next 40 minutes like in tears, just confessing their love for each other and she says, um, I'd never been so happy in my whole life. Now, this is a crazy thing. It was on July 25th, 1995, when he proposed. And later, Maite's father showed her the ticket stub from that first concert. And that concert was July 25th, 1990. So um, when she got home, Prince was already renovating Paisley Park, uh, which he didn't want her to see until after the wedding. And she had bought a wedding band in Milan, which he wanted to wear right away. He said, I want people to know in my heart and mind we're already married. Um, Since they weren't together when he proposed, uh, he set up this adorable little treasure hunt so that she could find the ring. Uh, And it was on the bed with flowers, and it was just lovely. And uh, during all the wedding prep, Maite worked on her album, Child of the Sun. Now, she didn't really... She wasn't, like, crazy about doing an album, but Prince really insisted that she do one, especially after this crazy show in Spain where the audience was just going wild for her. They were, like, shouting, like, Maite, Maite, Maite. Even when Prince came on, they were still, like, shouting for Maite. So uh, 
she ended up doing this record that Prince wanted her to do. She had a lot of fun making it, though, especially they did a duet together called However Much You Want. And she also did a cover of Prince's Most Beautiful Girl in the World and changed it to Most Beautiful Boy in the World. And uh, Prince helped her make it, but he gave her complete control over the outcome. So, again, she was, you know, in the driver's seat. So Maite wasn't the type of girl who had grand wedding dreams, but Prince was. No surprise. (laughs) So uh, he insisted they be married on Valentine's Day and was very involved with the preparation. Um, From flowers, which he spent half a million on, to flower girls, which he had a casting call for. No way. (laughs) It really moved Maite that he cared so much about the details. And on February 14th, 1996, Maite was 22 and Prince 37. They had a small church wedding and then a dinner at Paisley Park. She finally saw the renovation. The white and gray walls were now sky blue with clouds. The purple carpet had zodiac signs on it. There were murals everywhere. Prince monogrammed the symbol, like his symbol, like that was his name. Um, and M all over the china, the curtains, the napkins, towels. He even had it on the back of his wedding jacket. Uh, Prince had been working on music for their wedding, and their first dance was to friend, lover, sister, mother, wife. And then Prince took her to each room and showed her the new renovation. And then outside the master bedroom, there was a crib, and Prince played another song he'd been working on called Let's Have a Baby. Which they immediately began trying. Um, okay, I'm wondering if it ever happened. Okay. So, this shows how little I know about Prince. Like, I don't know if he ever had children. I don't think so, though. Well, um, I will tell you. Okay. I will tell you. So, shortly after Maite uh, had taken a test at night, a pregnancy test, uh she came positive and Prince was so excited that he took her to urgent care at midnight for blood tests just to make sure that it was right. They were told a, a due date of November 6th. Um, it was possible that she got pregnant on her wedding night. So and just like Priscilla, right? So uh, Prince bought a heart monitor and they would listen to it all the time. He also brought it into the recording studio, and apparently he kept a tape with him for years and played it for everyone who would listen. And he also blended their baby's heartbeat into the song Sex in the Summer. So a few months into her pregnancy... I feel like a lot of this episode is just me giving you strange looks. (laughs) Like, it's kind of sweet... It's this whole thing, like, the whole thing is, like, it's kind of sweet, but it's also kind of weird. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Also kind of weird. All right. All right. So, well, Prince is an unusual guy. Um, a few months into her pregnancy, Maite woke up to find that Prince had never come home, and she finally learned he was in the emergency room. A guard had find, found him passed out with vomit all over the floor. She was told that he took aspirin and red wine, and he had to have his stomach pumped. Uh, He was okay. Prince told her it was a stupid mistake. He had a headache. She accepted it. Um, Maite was young. She never, ever witnessed Prince take drugs. But um, she does say there were times in their relationship where he was sort of foggy or vacant. And um, looking back now, knowing 
you know what's what's happened with Prince over the years um it's it's possible so when you were saying we're going to be seeing a lot of parallels here we're talking about Elvis yeah 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 it's crazy it's crazy how similar her and Priscilla and Prince and Elvis were for sure um so yeah she says she never saw him take any drugs but that he probably was um throughout I dated a guy for nine months and it wasn't until eight months in that he told me he was addicted to cocaine I was young and naive. I didn't know what it looked like when somebody was on drugs. So, like, I can kind of get it. Like, I can see, like, especially if they're um, a musician, they have erratic hours and things. Like, you don't know if that's just their personality, the drive. It's, yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But Prince was really excited about the baby. And they planned a home birth uh, in the bathtub. And they watched educational films and read books. She had a dress that said baby and pointed down. And Prince had... Um, a shirt that said baby maker and they wore it all the time they chose the name Amir which is um, Arabic for prince though uh, he they did not know what the gender would be but in May Maite woke up to find she was bleeding now she rushed to emergency she was told that some of the placenta had torn away and sometimes it reattaches and sometimes it doesn't so they were urged to do testing because these things can be signs of abnormalities or other issues. But Prince said, it's in God's hands and we have faith. So Maite had doubts, but she followed Prince's wishes. And she says that they pray together every day from that hour forward. She says Prince would say, like, we have faith. Please bless this child. He's in your hands. Don't hurt this man who has great faith in you. Don't take our baby away. We want this child. We'll do anything. We'll be good. But by September, the doctors were saying the measurements were extremely off and, again, urged genetic testing. Uh, they said there were signs like of life-threatening concerns, of um, just there was obviously something wrong. Uh, again, Prince was like, if there's something wrong, it's God's will, not because we didn't prepare. And then the doctor was like, I told you months ago something was wrong. And they ended up like fighting in front of Maite, like fighting. And the doctor was like telling her, like, you should stay in the hospital. Prince was insisting she come home. The doctor ended up insisting Maite sign a form saying that she was leaving on her own free will and against his advice. So she signed because she didn't want to upset Prince. But on the way home, Maite begged Prince to go to another hospital just for a second opinion. That second opinion, of course, was the same. Prince finally agreed to let her be admitted. So she was in the hospital for a month. Prince did come every day. Finally, a C-section was scheduled for October 16th. So on October 16th, their son Amir was born with Pfeiffer syndrome type 2. It's, um, it's awful. I, I can't imagine any parent having to go through this. Uh, anyone, you know, Google it. I don't want to go into details here. But um, they in the hospital did everything they could to keep him alive. But their baby was suffering and they knew that they had to let him go. So they took him off the ventilator after six days. And this chapter in the book is like so heartbreaking. Like I really felt her and Prince's grief. It was just, oh, I can't imagine. It must be like the most painful thing any parent or any any person could ever go through. So when Maite went home, she ended up 
getting an infection. But again, Prince insisted she not go to the hospital. Prince, damn you. Yeah. She was saying, you know, God's hands on her. She'll be fine. But her doctor explained that if she didn't go, she could, it could lead to infertility, which immediately made Maite say, I'm going, like I'm getting this fixed. So she asked Prince to go with her to the hospital and he refused. So after a few days, she was sent home. Now she's grieving. She's getting over the infection. Um, She was in pain and spent most of the time in bed. Then one day, Prince woke her up, insisting that she get up because Oprah was coming over with a camera crew to interview them. I don't really have anything to say. No, this is a famous interview. Maite begged him like, please don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. But he insisted. And he gave her one instruction, which was say nothing about a mirror. So she's going through hair and makeup. Prince starts um, giving Oprah a tour of their house. And at this point, it, it was sort of publicly known something was wrong. Um, people knew they didn't know if their baby was deceased or if it had some sort of disease or but there were there were rumors and so Oprah like right away was like how how how's things and Prince was like never been better and uh yeah yeah um Oprah asked like what's going on so did Prince take this in terms of like an ego thing because obviously if you're changing your name to a symbol you must think very highly of yourself you know if you're saying these things to your wife about like it's in god god's hands and almost playing god yourself do you think that not having a healthy successful like this is one of his greatest i hate to say it in this terms but like failures that he's like saving face and going it's all great like he couldn't admit that maybe something in his life went wrong well first with the the symbol thing um she explains why he chose to change his name to symbol and it was more like for anyone who's interested in that read the book i won't get into big detail but she she kind of explains his his uh thoughts there now with this i don't know i don't know if like if maybe he was this was his own way of sort of not dealing with it maybe um he couldn't face the reality yet there's probably some guilt there I mean he he knew that he was sort of in control for months where they could have gotten help and things like that so I think it's hard to say exactly what Prince's thinking was in this but I imagine he's going through like a whirlwind of emotions himself I don't think he's necessarily like a villain, even though it kind of sounds like it. I mean, he's got his own shit, too. And I mean, he he wanted that baby just as much as my taste. So but yeah, he was saying, like, it's all good. Never mind what you hear. And when Maite and Prince sat down with Oprah, Oprah ended up like asking directly, like, what's the status of your baby? And if you watch the the clips of it, like Maite looks at him, you can tell she's like, she knows she can't answer it she's looking at prince like what are you gonna say and prince's reply was our family exists and we're just beginning so again he he never really 
he ne- he didn't tell Oprah that day that their son had already passed away. And in retrospect, Maite kind of wishes that Prince had just been honest and that if they were going to do the interview to like tell the event their way, you know, like have have control over what was going to be put out into the media. But obviously Prince just couldn't face it at that moment. She was also quite shocked that Prince told some personal secrets that were like, you know, um, moments that they shared together. Like what? Just things that they had said, things that Maite now shares in the book, but at the time, you know, were very personal to them. Um, Talking about their past lives and things like that, or um, yeah, just just little things. But Prince was um, at that point not very open publicly about things like that, so it kind of shocked her. So Prince was using his music as an outlet, um, and he wrote and dedicated some songs to Amir. Uh, one Maite mentions in the book is "Come Back." Uh, they both really had trouble discussing their trauma. Maite was taking Vicodin because of her C-section and the infection. And she says that, um, oh, sorry, I should have mentioned this before. After the interview with Oprah, she left. Prince was still with Oprah. Maite couldn't face things anymore. She took her bottle of Vicodin up to her room. She decided she was going to take the whole bottle but their dog, who she kind of bought spur of the moment when she got pregnant, um, her dog went nuts and was like jumping on her and like just throwing like love at her and like kind of forcing her not to take the pills. And she she just couldn't believe it. And she says that her dog Mia ended up saving her life. And Maite is very passionate about animal rights now. And she says like that's the exact moment that that like made her that way that this dog you know saved her and she never told prince about this moment so yeah prince is using his music as an outlet he wrote the song bet you by golly wow um and which was to come out right before the oprah interview now the music video for bet you by golly wow is about prince like running Maite's in it she's in the hospital Prince is like running to the hospital and the kind of reveal is that Prince is discovering that his wife is pregnant and they hug and it's like but a lot of people kind of assume that this was shot during her pregnancy but Prince actually made her film it after after their baby had passed and everything so again it was just like another kind of terrible reliving the moment kind of thing but she did it for him because she didn't know how else to help him what a guy what a strange and complicated man and then I feel so bad for these women because like these guys are larger than life you're now just like you're married, you're with them, and they're young and they're naive and doesn't even sound like she's ever had a boyfriend before. So it's just you go along with it. You're like, okay, if this is what you want. Okay. Yes. So there are a few times she found spilled wine or vomit on their bathroom floors and she knew Prince was struggling and she assumed Prince knew she was as well. And around this time, her Vicodin kept disappearing. Um, At the time, she thought Prince was hiding it from her to keep her from hurting herself. But of course, in retrospect, maybe something different was happening there. 
So on their one year anniversary, Prince released uh, his Kama Sutra album and listening to it actually really helped Maite with some of her depression. And they ended up going away to Egypt and trying to rebuild their connection. Prince was soul searching at this point again an Elvis connection here. He began reading re- every religious book he could find, Buddhism, uh, Christianity, Hindu, Judaism, Islam. Uh, so he was kind of searching for answers, I guess. Uh, Prince was beginning a new chapter in his music, and Mike Tay ended up creating her own dance troupe. She wrote a script with three acts to Prince's music, his hits, the Kama Sutra, and then all new music. She directed, choreographed, and stage managed a a play of it or a show of it. Um, During rehearsals, though, she found out she was pregnant again, due on May 10th, 1998. So she decided not to dance, but just to stage manage. Um, There is... A great opening, but after some discussion, they decided to disband until the baby was born. Uh, Maite did end up having a miscarriage. Prince refused to go with her when she began bleeding, and when she needed help expelling the miscarriage as well, he stated, I don't believe in what you're doing. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, the body sometimes needs help. So, yeah. So it was around this time, well, maybe this is why, maybe this is why, this is probably why. Around this time, Prince developed a friendship with Larry Graham, who is bass player for Sly and the Family Stone, and his wife. Now, Maite liked Larry, but Larry often would go off on, like, long sermons. See, Larry was a Jehovah's Witness. So the more she kind of learned about that faith, the more she knew it wasn't for her, but Prince was very much the opposite. So... They were definitely growing apart at this point, but neither wanted to believe it. Um, Prince wrote The One and asked Maite, Maite sorry, to direct it. And she calls The One uh, the truest work we created together. And it did help them again rekindle things. And both were determined to make a new beginning and began discussing moving to Spain. Unfortunately, the new beginning involved Larry. And soon Larry and his wife were living in their guest house. So... Yeah, Prince is, like, really getting into Jehovah world at this point. One evening, Maite surprised Prince on tour and discovered a young girl who resembled her backstage. Now, she was introduced to a woman named Manuela and told Manuela was there to help with the charity work and merchandising, which Maite was in charge of, and this was news to her, so that was a little strange. And then Prince walked into the room. He walked over to Manuela and he shook her hand. Yeah. Yeah. He shook her hand just as he'd done to Maite years before. And so she knew. She knew something was up here. She confronted him. He denied it. She didn't want to lose him. She felt they could get past it. But the fights were beginning to happen more often. One night, she was too tired to go to a basketball game. And he shouted at her like, do you know how many women exhaust themselves trying to get my attention? So things like that are happening now. Uh, Maite was feeling pretty desperate. She decided to move forward with the plans to move to Spain. She went there. She bought a house. And she started living there during the renovation. Prince would visit, but he, most of the time with, with the crew, including Manuela. So she also started getting phone calls from cl- friends being like, oh, I saw you and Prince in New York or nope. Yeah. So she knew she knew it had to be Manuela with him. But 
Growing up, she'd watched her parents' infidelities, and she truly believed if she waited it out, he would, you know, get over it. Which is, like, possible. Like, that is a, yeah, yeah, that's a thing for her to think, oh, well, okay, I'm done with her, but you're my true soulmate because you're really, so yeah, okay. Yeah. Especially since her parents at this point, I think, had divorced and remarried, like, married three times, divorced twice. So that's that's the relationship that she you know, based what love is off of. So um, one night Prince called and asked her to come meet him in L.A. When she got there, he was a mess. He was very sick. He ended up asking her to flush some pills down the toilet. He was like, I'm sick. Like, please take over. Like, I'll do it, whatever you want. She told him, like, come to Spain, be with me. We'll figure this out. Like, let's figure out how to be a family. And he did come, but he would leave kind of shortly after. And this kind of began happening regularly. And when he wasn't there, they would talk on the phone. But all he wanted to talk about was the Jehovah study group. He told her that God was mad at him for how he lived his younger years and that Amir's death was the price he had to pay for it. So Maite could not believe this. And... She, you know, she did express disagreement with Jehovah. But when you do that to a Jehovah Witness, you're called an opposer. And because she had disobeyed her husband when it came to health care and refused to accept the gospel of Jehovah, um, she was sort of becoming the enemy. And Prince kept trying to convert her, but she knew, like, this isn't right for me. I had a babysitter once whose family converted to Jehovah's Witnesses, and then we, like, couldn't play, um, you know, the game, the, like, the cootie catcher with yeah. the red, blue, like, pick yeah. a number, this is your, like, we couldn't do stuff like that anymore, and, like, we couldn't buy her Christmas presents and stuff. Yeah. yeah. She became significantly less fun. Yeah, they're very strict. It's, um, it's not, not the funnest, the most fun religion uh, it was in Spain she suddenly remembered that lesson about the girl in Minneapolis is the girl on her way in and the girl out, or the girl who leaves is the one on her way out. So, uh, yeah. In December 98, Prince was on tour and he held a press conference when he came to Spain. So on their way to this press conference, he just, out of the blue, told Maite that just as he is against record company contracts, he was now also against marital ones. During the conference, he told the press that him and Maite were going to have their marriage annulled so that they could renew their vows and continue our marriage in a less traditional fashion. So he completely blindsided her with this. She had no clue. She had to sit there, pretend she knew what Hallie was talking about. They ended up arguing for hours. He told her he wanted her to sign this paper saying she agreed to have their marriage annulled and that they were free of the chains of the contract. But he still said, like, but I want to renew our vows and be baptized on our anniversary. He basically bullied her until 4 a.m. No, girl, don't sign it. No, no, no. Get the divorce. Get that prince money. Well, she did sign it. But... As everyone knows, just signing a random piece of paper does not mean that you're not married anymore. <laughs> so like, I just, I, I don't understand the point. But um, yeah, they were still husband and wife, and she was still really trying to spend more time with him. But when she would go back home, the group studies were happening, the Jehovah thing was happening, and she just felt less and less welcome in her home. 
And Princess is starting to do re- things like really out of character that she did not appreciate either. For instance, um, he would he took her to a strip club, and one time they went to some PR event, and he tried to get her to wear a belly dancing outfit at the on the red carpet, and she refused, which anger can and prompting a fight about how she wasn't an obedient wife. So Prince was getting his feelings out in songs like The Greatest Romance Ever Sold. And in that video, he gets down and dirty with a woman who turned out to be one of the strippers at that uh, club that he took her to. And he also put out a song called I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore. And the lyrics echoed a fight they'd had about Manuela. So she wasn't really happy about this. So finally, Maite realized we're not moving forward anymore. This isn't going to work. So they decided it's time to divorce. So in May of 2000, they were officially divorced. She didn't want the money. She ended up just getting the house in Spain, which took her forever to sell. And she ended up like really not making any money off of it. Um, the only true thing that mattered to her was their son Amir's ashes and she ended up badgering Prince's people until finally a family or a a mutual friend told her that she'd heard that Prince got his assistance to burn everything in the house that reminded him of her and the baby including the urn that's really sad yeah yeah so Maite decided to begin a new life in LA uh, she started acting and things like that, and she found a new love. And you won't believe who it is. Oh, I'm so excited, and I'm happy that she found a new love. Who is it? Tommy Lee. Oh! <laughs> so she says nothing but lovely things about him, and she calls him the perfect rebound romance. They're not still together. No, no, no. Uh, no I we I, our our muses and stuff account does follow him. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's got like a young model girl. Yeah, no. Um, Prince put out an album around the time of the divorce called "The Rainbow Children," and that kind of has a storyline about a beautiful unbeliever who gets banished to a foreign land, and then the wise one finds another woman who was sent to him by God. Is that Manuela? So about 18 months after their divorce, um, Prince's dad passed away. So she called him and they ended up chatting. Prince told her that he was planning to marry Manuela, uh, which he did on New Year's Eve. And Tommy Lee asked Maite to marry him as well. And she did say yes. But the next day they both kind of had like a what the fuck are we doing kind of moment. But the media had picked up on it. And apparently Prince was like distraught over it. So... Yeah, he was not a fan of the Maite Tommy Lee relationship. Um, he ended up calling her, and they had this weird moment where, like, she said hello, and he said hello, and then she said hello again, and then he said hello. And then there was like a pause, and then he just hung up. <laughs> so her and Tommy Lee were together for two years, and she says we parted with some sadness, but remain friends to this day. So Prince and Manuela ended up divorcing as well in 2006 and how long were they together um i think they got married in 2002 okay so like it was or 2001 or 2001 or two so it wasn't a very long relationship no and when they did divorce manuela ended up reaching out to maite 
She apologized and she swore that they were never intimate while they were still married. Um, Manuel and Maite have gotten to know each other and they do still chat here and there. Maite, of all princess women, say, says, I bear no other woman in his life any ill will. I worship Sheila E. She's a golden goddess. It never occurred to me to be jealous of Apollonia because when she had her brief relationship with Prince, I was a kid. My feelings about Manuela are more complex, but she's apologized. I said to her, if it wasn't you, it would have been someone else, but the pain is still there. So in 2006, uh, Maite was ready to forgive Prince and they began kind of talking again. And that year she actually went to see Prince perform on her birthday. And so they sort of kind of healed whatever issues were there. Um, Maite's gotten steady acting work since 2004. And she also did a reality show called Hollywood Exes. Now, this was important because a woman who was in the middle of putting her baby up for adoption was watching this show, and she was hearing about Maite's story with her pregnancies and all that. And at the same time, Maite was looking into adoption. Now, this woman contacted her, and Maite was like, this is too good to be true, this is weird, but legally, you know, they got their people to look into it, and it was legit and she talked to this mother and this mother told her about her newborn daughter Gia who was born November 12th 2011 and Maite was like this is unbelievable because Maite was born on November 12th so she ended up adopting this girl she felt it was fate so yeah she's a mother now and in 2016 Maite decided to auction off the clothes that Prince had left at their home in Spain um, Prince, she, she wanted to talk to Prince first, but she really couldn't get a hold of him. And she also heard through the grapevine, he wasn't really doing that well. So she was calling, trying to get a hold of him. Uh, she really wanted to visit and she wanted Prince to meet her daughter, Gia. Um, but she was told by Randy that he was fine. Don't worry, don't come. And then when Vanity passed away, she tried again to contact him. Um, Ooh. Vanity. You don't know who Vanity is? We got to do an episode on Vanity sometime. She's um, a prince protege as well. She's amazing. I'll, I'll tell you about her after this. Um, so both her and Manuela began to express their concern to each other about Prince, especially after uh, Prince had that emergency landing with his plane. Um, again, they were told it was just dehydration, which did not sound right to them. And uh, a couple of days later, it was Manuela who phoned Maite and told her that Prince had passed away. Uh, she ended up taking Gia to Paisley Park to mourn and show her like all the love Prince put out into the world with like everyone showing up there. And uh, since his passing, she's reconnected with many of the MPG crew, and she's really enjoyed reminiscing over all the good times. Of Prince, she says, he was my family. He, his love lives on in me, and in strange way, our love lives on in Gia. Never say gone, never say gone, my husband told me over and over during those ter terrible days after our son died. With Gia in my arms, I hear his voice in my heart and know as surely as I know my name that I will see my love again. And... um just a, a couple of other things. Uh, she doesn't go into great detail about it, but she, Maite has battled um, MS 
and she is in remission since 2012. And I thought I'd end this by saying that she also runs a charity organization called Maite's Rescue, which finds happy homes for abused and abandoned dogs. Again, from that moment with her dog saving her life all back then, now she's, you know, helping animals and other people in need. And she's a wonderful person. And I talked to Pleasant about her and she said that they're not friends, but they do have a lot of friends in common and they do have students in common as well because Maite also teaches belly dancing. So it's a small world. It's a small rock and roll world when you really think about it, Um, which is something that we've definitely discovered through this podcasting process. Lynx, that was an incredible story. Thank you so much for presenting that in such a wonderful way. Thank you. And yes, uh, there's so much more in her book, The Most Beautiful. Pick it up. She's got an incredible story. And Prince Lovers will love it because there's so many like random details about him put in there that I just didn't have time to tell. Amazing. So we will post um, a whole bunch of great pictures. I've seen a couple so far. She is beautiful. Um, the links up to the YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff. So I hope that you all enjoyed um, the episode this week. Thank you so much for listening. As usual, links you want to tell them where they can find us on the internet? Yes, uh, Twitter at Shanti and Links and iTunes and we're on Instagram, Muses and Stuff podcast, Facebook. Same thing. Also, like this has been so lovely sitting here with Links because we're not in a rush to go anywhere. We get to talk about stuff and we're, you know, it's nice to just dedicate this whole day to just like planning and podcasting, all that kind of stuff. And I know I personally am going to take a lot more time to to be putting into um this podcast so we're gonna get the episodes up on spotify and we're gonna create a pantheon for you guys we think it's about time coming into our 50th episode it's time to get a little bit um a little bit more muses and stuff happening and uh yeah if you're interested in checking out or you know learning a little bit more about links and i um i think that'll be a really good opportunity to do that as well so thank you again everybody take care and we'll see you next week hello dear stranger i'd like to introduce you to something new or perhaps something very very old the heresies of radolf burnt wine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care. Dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.